One of my seminary professors um, was the author of one of the leading commentaries on John's Gospel. And the rumor was, I actually never took this class with him, but if you took John's Gospel, the, the class on John's Gospel with Rod, um, chances were that you were not likely to make it past the 18th verse before Thanksgiving. Um, because it was so rich. This, um, this prologue to John's Gospel that we read this morning is so rich and so deep, he couldn't get, he couldn't get beyond it. Um, and here I have only 90 minutes to teach you all about 18 verses. Um, so we'll see what we can do. Just kidding. It'll be like 60. Um, I, I love, I love this, this passage, and it's, it's one of the most um, poignant and most recognizable in all of Scripture. Um, and it really, to me, is interesting to read this, John chapter 1, um, coming off of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when we read from Luke. Because Luke tells us this well-known story of, of Jesus' birth and the, the traveling to Bethlehem um, of Mary and Joseph and being born um, in the stable because there was no room in the inn and the shepherds coming. It's a very, um, a very memorable story and one that many of us, if not all of us, know well and know by heart. Um, and here is so interesting because we have John and he's talking about the same thing, but he uses very different language. Very different language. And so what we have in Luke's gospel then is, is the Christmas story. There are characters and there are places and there are events. We see the birth of Jesus from the point of view of Mary and the shepherds. And here we have John's gospel. And it's not so much a story, but these are some huge, um, what, we say, what we call metaphysical statements. That's a giant word. And that's, that's what John is describing are some things that are almost beyond comprehension. So instead of a story, we get words like in the beginning, in the beginning before time, um, light, darkness, word made flesh. This is, this is what John is communicating to us. And so we see the incarnation, um, that's a, a fancy theological word for what we're talking about, the birth of Jesus, who is God. So the incarnation of God, we get this perspective from a, um, from a cosmic viewpoint. Not the viewpoint of Mary, but from the viewpoint of the whole universe, the whole creation, we're seeing the significance of this baby. So there are things, and, and in Luke's gospel, for instance, everything we see in John's gospel is in Luke's gospel, but it's more implied. It's more implicit. And here we have John being very explicit about this, this word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So in this Christmas season, what are we going to learn from John about, about this little baby, about this child born in a stable in Bethlehem? What, what does John communicate to us and tell us about him? And the first thing we see is simply this, that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. This baby who is physically born from a woman is actually eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so maybe, Carrie, maybe we can get this up on the screen. We're in John's Gospel. If you have a Bible, you can pull it out, John chapter 1. Um, and the first thing John says to us is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what's going on here? We're saying Jesus is eternal, and John is using language very common to both the Jews and the Greeks of his time. That, That capitalized word there is hugely important. Um, For the Greek philosophers, there was two things um, typically that they saw um, when they were talking about the universe. Two things they spoke about. One was was the cosmos, if you will. So this is the things you can see, the created order. So everything you can see, that's cosmos. That's the created order. But there was something else for these Greeks. There's something behind that, something that orchestrated that. They called that the logos. The Word. And so here we have in John's Gospel, he's saying, you Greeks, you, 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 you got it right. There's something behind creation. There's something you can't see. There is a Word. And God will go on to say that Word is Jesus Christ. He orders the world. He brings order to creation. He is, we'll talk about it in a second, he's the agent of creation. But this was a, a big word for the Jews as well, and it goes back to our Old Testament, because what happens in Genesis? How does God create the world? How does He create? What does He do? He speaks. Let there be light. And there was light. His Word creates. The Word of God creates. And so um, there is very, something very special to the Jews as they read their Old Testament about the Word of God. And here is John saying, Jesus is the Word. He was there In the beginning, before creation, before time, before space, there was the Word, Jesus Christ. He was with God, and He was God. So John is is being very um, clear to us in in a way that doesn't always seem real clear, but he's he's being very specific that Jesus is eternal from, from before creation. And so, in Jesus, all things um, are made. All things are made through Jesus, if you will. And this might be a bad metaphor um, and on the verge of um, heresy, but we'll give it a try. Um, Think about, and and Mr. Kennedy, you'll get this, um, a a construction team. And, And there is an architect and an engineer and all sorts of other people who, who design, who, who designed this, um, for instance, this building, Door Hall. An architect and an engineer would have designed it. I used to be an engineer. I did not build it. Engineers don't build it. We, we call in contractors, and the contractors come and actually build this building. And so you could almost think of it like that, that God is the, the architect of creation and Jesus as the, the agent of creation coming in and, and making it happen, if you will. Don't follow that one too far. It's going to lead you down the wrong path. Um, but it's just one way to think about, about this thing. And, and yet, they're on the same team. They're, 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 uh, and when you include the Holy Spirit, they're three, and yet somehow one. But the point that John is trying to make this, is this. He's not trying to explain how it happens or why it's like that. He's just telling you it's like that. That Jesus is this word that is behind the scenes. And yet making it happen that this baby is eternal, right on cue, good job back there, is eternal from the very beginning of time. 
Um, and, and so it's this sort of grand um, cosmic thing. And, and the point of all that is simply this. Jesus is God. He is God. He is the eternal God. And he's come to be with us. That's amazing. And we'll, we'll, there's more on that later. So the second thing we see in John's gospel, first thing, Jesus is eternal. The second thing is this. Jesus is the true light. He is eternal and he is the true light. So if we go on and read verses um, 4 and 5, and then we're going to skip down to 9 and 10. 4 and 5 and then 9 and 10. Um, God says this about the word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you go down to verse 9. That true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is the true light. Now, there are a couple of um, angles to take on this. So I want to hang our hat on two verses. And the first one is this. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So did you follow that logic? The Word of God is life, and that life is a light to the word. I mean, to the world. And, and we, we come to learn that, that that light is Jesus Christ. So the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Another way to translate it, the darkness has not understood it. There's a light um, shining in the darkness. And what this means then, if, if our minds and our eyes have been darkened, then we can't really trust what we are seeing, can we? If your mind has been darkened to the truth, if your eyes have been darkened um, to what is around you, you cannot trust what you are seeing. And so if we don't know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, if we don't know that and we look at this world, we cannot believe what we're seeing because it is not true. Okay? Follow with me for a second. You look at our society. Um, and for many of us, and I would say most of us again, um, it seems like there is something wrong. It seems like there is something wrong. Some, somewhere, at some point, um, we've gone in the wrong direction. Just read the, read the newspaper. Read the, you, I, I haven't read this morning's newspaper. I probably won't, but just go pick it up. I'm sure you can find something glaring in there that says there's something wrong. But if our eyes are darkened to Jesus Christ, we don't really know what that is. It's just something out there that we know isn't right, but we can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. It's in the darkness. Or on another level, perhaps, we see it in, in creation. Hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes. The list can go on and on and on. And we look at these things and the misery and the death and the havoc they incur. And we've got to think there's something wrong with that. Would God make a world like that? No. God wouldn't make a world like that. When God's finished, there will be no earthquakes that destroy lives. There will be no hurricanes that destroy families. But we've got them now because something is wrong. And, and if we stay in the darkness, we simply cannot understand it or know what it is. 
Or how about in your own lives? It's easy to talk about those other two things because they're out there. Society is bad. Um, Creation is messed up. But what if we turn that light on our own hearts? The darkness of our own hearts. If, If we don't have the light of the Word, if we don't know quite simply, what is right and what is wrong revealed to us by Jesus Christ? We're darkened. Our hearts are darkened to our own sin. And you know what that is. I don't have to give you examples. You know the sin of your heart. What is it? And if you don't have the light of Jesus Christ shining on it, you, you probably can't even see it. I used to think, I, I think I've told you this before, I used to think um, when I became a Christian that I would start getting really holy. I used to think that. That that the more I followed Jesus, the holier I would get. Um, For what it's worth. I see things in my life now that I had no clue were there when I first met Jesus. I had no clue. So yeah, so maybe some things are getting taken care of and I'm, I'm, I'm walking better and I'm not straying as much, but there's things that I'm doing now that I was doing back then that I didn't even know was a problem. That's the light shining in the darkness, exposing our sins. Jesus is the true light. So Jesus is the light um, exposing the darkened world to us. But we, we have to remember he's the true light. There are other things in this world that will claim to be the light. But look at verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Um, we cannot escape this, um, what, what is also often been called uh, the scandal of particularity. The scandal of particularity that Jesus Christ says, I am the true light. There is no other light There is no other way, there is no other truth, except for Jesus Christ. We can't escape that. We want to sometimes, even as Christians, you know, put that part aside. um, Because maybe we're afraid of being called narrow-minded or intolerant. We can't can't just put that aside. We we cannot just dismiss it because it is everywhere in Scripture, including right here. That he is the true light. The one true light. Every other religion, um, whether it's a a secular religion, a religion of consumerism, if you will, or um, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, Islam, whatever it is, every other religion says there is something you can do to get to God or something you can do to make yourself happy or something you can do to get better. And if you put Christianity in with that, sure, it seems narrow-minded. We say, well, yeah, there's something you can do. Just follow Jesus better. Um, And and easily, a a Muslim can say, well, no, you follow Allah better. And and then all of a sudden, we're narrow-minded. But Christianity is totally different. It's not a problem with the medicine we're taking. It's, it's, It's the diagnosis it's the diagnosis that Christianity says you're much worse than you actually think you are. You're so sinful, you're so far away from God, you cannot do anything to get to Him. 
And so Jesus is the true light. He says, I am the way. Those other things will not get you there, but I am the way. My um, favorite um, preacher these days is a man named Tim Keller. I'm sure you all have heard of him. You'll learn about him some more this spring or this late winter. Um, he gives this illustration, and I think it's amazing. He said, if you were sick, and many of us are sick in some form or another, have a cough or a cold. If you were sick and you went to four doctors, and the first three say, well, just, um, you know, just take an Advil and call me in the morning. But the fourth doctor says, you're terminal. If you don't listen to me, you will die. Are you going to say, well, you're just being narrow-minded? No, you're not going to say that. You're not going to say, oh, well, you're narrow-minded. What about these other medicines that these doctors say work so well? No. That, you see, the diagnosis is completely different. You're going to die. So you can say he's lying. You could say he's crazy. But he cannot be narrow-minded. Jesus is the true light. Because he's saying the darkness of our hearts is a lot worse than we realize. All these other religions say the darkness, you know, you can get out of it. Jesus says you cannot. Come back to that one as well. Um, I feel like I just need to say this really quickly. This, um, this isn't simply a problem for people who don't believe in Jesus. It's a problem for people who do believe in Jesus. Because often we have faith and we want to follow him. We think, finally, when I die, I'll be happy. I'll be in heaven. I just need to make it through this life right now. And, and then we go through trying to um, satisfy ourselves in this world day in and day out, knowing that maybe one day we'll see Jesus. I have a roommate um, in college. Right? And we would, we would watch football on Sunday afternoons. And he would see a commercial, okay, um, usually for pizza or, or something else that college students eat or drink. Um, he would see this commercial, and he'd say, we just, just had lunch, by the way. I'm really hungry. I need a pizza. And he'd go call and order a pizza. And I'm like, what? And then I'd eat the pizza when it got there as well. But, but the point is, is this, that these commercials, um, for instance, um, create a desire in us for something that will satisfy it. So you see a car commercial, for instance, and you're thinking, if I had that car, I would be satisfied. You see your neighbor's house. If I had my neighbor's house, I would be satisfied. If I had those crazy Christmas lights, I'd be satisfied. Do you see that? And we all have that problem of trying to satisfy ourselves with other things. This is a religious claim. If something, look, I, I'm going to show this off. I got an iPhone 5. I'm very excited about it. Um, Apple does a really good job of making you think you need this to be happy or to be satisfied or to be more productive at work, which is what I'm going for. <laughs> but that's a religious claim. That, do you see that? That is the false light. That is not the true light. Jesus Christ is the true light. You need me in the future and you need me now, is what he's saying. So that when you look at this world or this creation or the darkness of your own heart, you will see the truth about who you are. And who this world is. And who the evil one is behind it. That light also wants you to see itself. The word of God made flesh. And so we will close with one point. If I can remember what it is. Third point is this. 
we go down to verse 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word, this incarnate, eternal word, this light that is shining in the darkness, he's not abstract. He's not something to grasp at or to try to understand. If you were a Greek reading the sentence or a Jew reading the sentence, and you're, you're thinking, yeah, I'm tracking the Word. He's cool. I got that. Um, and you came to this in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, you would have stopped. Let me read that again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This eternal God who created heaven and earth, this eternal Word who is behind all things, has become flesh. Not just any flesh, He became a baby, a helpless child. And He shined the light in the darkness. And the darkness did not understand it. And the darkness, the darkness of our own hearts nailed him to a cross. But the darkness did not overcome it. And that word was made flesh. That true light said, everything you're doing is false. Everything I'm doing is true. And God raised him from the dead. So this Christmas season, as it winds down, I'm just going to leave you with this question. Have you seen the light? Have you seen it? Maybe you're seeing it now for the first time. Maybe it's a little bit brighter. What are you going to do? Are you going to run to it or are you going to run from it? Because this light that is shining in the darkness will bring you life. And not just eternal life, but life right here, right now. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light shining in the darkness. You've come to give us life. You're the one and only eternal God who can offer us that. Draw us closer to you. Draw our hearts closer to you. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who who is hearing this um, for the first time, I pray that 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 light would shine in their hearts. If anybody's hearing it again, I pray, Lord, that that light would shine brighter and brighter. And then I pray, Lord, that you would make us into your light. So in this town, when Somerville looks at the people of St. Paul's, they would see the light the life of Jesus Christ himself. 
It is in Jesus' holy and precious name that we ask these things. Amen.